I never once thought that maybe because they lived in America that their belief systems were changing too. What are my values? What do I really want to do? Time isn't running out. My journey gives me a different perspective on life. Everyone is like that. I kind of feel a little more fearless in chasing music all the way. I want you to learn that there's a difference between speaking poorly about your parents and speaking clearly about things that are affecting you. The fulfillment is not gonna come without hard work. But you know in your heart kind of who you are. It's the right choice. It's 100% the right choice. When you're they see like those questions. Study in There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Desi Condition. Today we're talking to Joseph Kolabudi about refugee and migrant mental health and how it affects second and third generation South Asians and how to get the younger generation involved with the conversation of mental health. Joseph works for the international nonprofit Reach Across, working with young people coming from refugee and migrant backgrounds. He's also on the board of ARM Care, which stands for Australian Refugee and Migrant Care Services, and has been recognized for his work as a global shaper by the World Economic Forum. So, super excited to talk to you today. How are you? Welcome to my show. Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, where are you right now? Uh, so I'm based here in Australia in a city called Brisbane. Uh, great. So, uh, but you've traveled a lot for work, um, for your job with Reach Across, right? Yeah, that's right. So I spent two years in in California in in Pasadena, close to LA, and then I spent a year in India working with a nonprofit there. So back in Australia now. Uh, so I have a question for you. Why specifically uh, migrant mental health? Uh, what's the distinguishing factor between that and just mental health more generally? Yeah, so basically, I, I think the main difference between migrant mental health and, and mental health in general are the circumstances that a lot of migrants and refugees go through. So basically, when, when a migrant leaves their, their homeland or their home country, they're dealing with a lot of uh, transitional issues. Obviously, the, the culture is different, usually with the country they're moving to, or they have a lot of questions about how to integrate into society and assimilate. Um, so there's a lot of uh, unknown factors that they're dealing with. Obviously, when it comes to mental health in general, you have issues like peer pressure, you know, social pressure, even parental pressure to a certain extent. But I think these are heightened when you're in a different country, um, when you're dealing with a lot of unknown factors. So that's why I believe migrants uh, struggle a lot more to to transition. But it's it's different per person, so it depends on the situation. But I think in general, they just deal with a lot of issues on, on a, a more complex level. Yeah. So do you think that they're from the you know the time that you spent in the states or in india do you have you noticed any differences in how mental health is received or um how it's dealt with in the community in different ways in those yeah definitely i think it's still obviously a big taboo topic um in in the south asian community at least but when you're dealing with multicultural communities um, they often react to it in different ways. So as an example, here in Australia, 
Um, we have quite a, a large uh, refugee population, also a migrant population. So the, the main difference is obviously refugees um, are forced to move to another country because, you know, uh, either it's a civil war conflict or a political conflict and they have to move to another place. Or uh, in terms of migrants, they usually have a choice. Um, they're moving for, you know, better opportunities or education or employment or things of that nature. So there's a lot of, I guess, um, mixed signals when it comes to dealing with multicultural communities. Some younger, uh, especially second and third generation, they're more open to talking about issues of mental health. Obviously, first generation still struggle with it a bit differently. So it's not that certain people experience mental health and others don't. I think we all go through challenges, but it's how we choose to face them or discuss them. Um, but yeah, seeing the the migrant population here, I, I believe, you know, second and third generation Desis especially are able to talk about it amongst their peers. But when it comes to talking about it at school or university or even in the workplace, it's still very much a personal battle than than a social one. Yeah, and what about how um, they deal with it with their families? Yeah, I think within a family context, um, it, it's, it's quite complex. So usually the first generation, obviously the parents, um, they, they sort of, I guess, question um, what what the second and third generation are going through a lot more, you know, it's it's more classed as a as a health issue. So they're like, oh, how can we fix this, or how can we um, make it go away? Whereas the second and third generation, they're more it's more of a psychological uh, challenge. So they're trying to figure out how can we explain this to our parents in a way that they can understand without passing it off as some sort of you know, detrimental condition that has to be fixed. So I, I think in general, they're, they're quite hesitant to share it with others. Um, but like I said, amongst peers, I think, um, especially with siblings, uh, I know it's, it's able, they're able to kind of share it a bit more openly. Interesting. Okay. Um, do you feel like that openness exists more in certain regions than in others? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think, uh, yeah, in certain regions, it's definitely, you know, if, if if a certain society is more multicultural, if you're in a community that's, you know, predominantly one culture, or, or even there's very similar cultures. So like, if there's an Indian and Sri Lankan community, there's obviously a shared experience there. Um, or if you're from the same region, you know, you, you can kind of know certain people in the community which you can share issues with. Um, but having said that, I think there has to be a level of trust between the person you're sharing, you know, your mental uh, health challenges or issues with. Um, when it comes to family, I think, like I mentioned before, it's easy to share it among siblings, especially if they're going through similar issues, you know, if it's the upbringing or, you know, how strict your parents are or, you know, how to deal with, you know, certain life choices or career paths, then it's a bit easier to kind of deal with. Um, within certain sections of society, I think it depends on, you know, what sort of part of your journey you're on. So when you're younger, it's, it's hard to kind of even identify what mental health is, you know, later in life, I think a lot of people, they, they kind of come to terms with it 
once they're able to understand it a bit deeper. Um, but again, I think it depends on the person, the individual. But I think at some point, you're often faced with a choice, you know, especially when it comes to either considering counseling or getting, you know, psychological advice from a professional. You definitely start to question and explore those issues a bit deeper. Uh, so I, I'm glad you brought up uh, mental health as a kid. What do you think we can do as, um, I guess, we would be considered first, or actually, I'm not sure about you, but I guess I would be considered first or second uh, generation here. Um, what can we do to um, increase the conversation about mental health and like make sure, especially with kids, that they have a lot more awareness about what mental health is and so they can you know, we can provide inter intervention much sooner. Sure. Yeah, I think um, just identifying mental health as as it's not a negative thing. I mean, there are there is such thing as good mental health practices. I think in, in the Daisy community, especially whenever you mention mental health, it's always seen as a negative thing. But I think if we can kind of identify certain practices, so for example, um, you know, early identification is obviously a first step and being able to explain that to, you know, older, uh, the older generation in a way that they can understand. So obviously there's a, there's a high regard for, you know, the medical profession, especially in the Desi community. But when it comes to psychology or things like that, it's often looked down. So I think just being able to recognize that this is an issue that affects everyone in different ways um, is obviously a first step. And then uh, a second thing, you can identify, you know, certain um, psychologists even from a cultural perspective. So there are like they see counselors and psychologists that that actually offer their services from, from a cultural perspective. So they take into consideration that, you know, the older generation might not view it the same way as the younger generation. So they try and explain it in ways or, or terms that they can understand, or perhaps they take into more the cultural elements when they're explaining, you know, solutions um, when you're discussing this within the community. So, so there are certain ways that you can you can also discuss it within, you know, groups or, or smaller groups as well. Um, I think just in general, being able to bring it up in a conversation without, you know, having to fear for your own well-being in a sense that a lot of people tend to attach it to a personal issue rather than a social one. So I think if you can kind of explain in a way it's like, oh, this is what I'm going through. Have you ever experienced something like this? Or what are your thoughts on, on that? I, I think if you can explain it, especially with your trusted friends first, before you, you know, you bring it to light with, with others, I think that's a, that's a good step in the right direction as well. I think you just said something really, really important, which is that it's a social issue, not a personal one. I think that's um, kind of the biggest challenge that we face as advocates for mental health is that sometimes, especially when some someone's talking about their own struggle, it seems like, okay, this is just a really sad person. But no, it's not just it's not just a really sad person. It's um someone who's talking about things that we're all probably going through that a lot of people are going through. And it's it's to me, mental health is a public health issue. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, and then you brought up another good point, I think, about cultural sensitivity um, among healthcare, mental health care professionals. Have you noticed any differences in like the 
quantity or um, the the ability for people to have the resources to find people with culturally uh, with cultural sensitivity, um, you know, in the states versus Australia, for example. Yeah, I feel in the states um, there are a lot of services that are available. It's just the access to those services often go unnoticed. So, as an example, I mean, the first time that I uh, went to a counselor was actually when I was in the states, because um, at my uh, at my university when I was studying my masters there in a, in international development, we had a school of psychology on campus, and they used to offer you know. And usually this is the case with, with most counselors. You'd get like the first couple of sessions for free. So as a student, obviously, you know, every, anything free you want to take up on. Um, but especially, you know, when, when I started to see other Indians um, accessing those services, I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I could also try it out. But I think just the the cultural pressure to be like, oh, there's something wrong with me. That's why I need counseling as you alluded to before, that kind of prevented me from doing so until about a year later uh, when when I was started my first job. And uh, we had an uh, in-house counsellor that also did uh, free sessions. Um, so I hesitated until my immediate supervisor actually asked me, you know, I, I actually went to, to this particular counsellor and it really helped me to identify, you know, certain personal goals that I should set and you know, spending more quality time with people and understanding my own situation and, and sort of the things that I um, have been dealing with uh, and helped me even in my work. So I was like, oh, maybe I should definitely consider this. Um, so I ended up going, obviously, to, to the counsellor. And, yeah, I think the first session really surprised me, uh, to be honest, um, mainly because uh, the, the particular counsellor in question um she she had actually been in a in a interracial uh relationship um and, and she had married african american and i think that her parents of obviously reacted differently to that and then with her interracial children there were certain mental health issues that she went through and she actually that led her to become a counselor um so obviously i think there's a lot of things that you can learn from them on a personal level but also being able to understand how oh, they also deal with mental health issues, even though they're professionals. So that kind of puts you at ease in a sense that oh, I can actually share my sort of challenges and issues, you know, growing up because they've also obviously from a different context, but they've also kind of have a shared experience. So I, I would say definitely seek, seek people like that out. Um, it, it's not impossible to find someone like that. And, and I think the resources available now, obviously in the midst of COVID-19, there's a lot of uh, resources that are available online. So it's not like you have to, you know, put aside time and actually, you know, travel to a certain location and 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 spend a couple of hours in, in a psychologist's office. You can now do it from the comfort of your own home. Um, there are certain services that you can go to family counseling if you so choose. So, so there are a lot of you know different options that you can access. I think it's just being aware of them and and definitely being able to seek them out. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm I'm glad that when you know you were in the states that you were still able to find uh, those services and that they worked for you. Were you able to find a community here that could that you could kind of talk to about mental health? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like I mentioned before, the the, the Indian community on campus, um, we're obviously going through a similar thing. You know, not not just the pressures of study, but obviously the family pressure to obviously you know get good grades and you know be involved in a lot of you know extracurricular academic activities and and things like that. So I think a combination of those factors plus the fact that we weren't at home anymore. So we could, you know, go over to people's places and, and just kind of talk about it, you know, after class or things like that. Um, I remember on campus specifically, we had something uh, called the open door policy. So basically, if your door was open uh, to your dorm after after class, that basically meant that you're able to go to anyone's um, apartment and just have a conversation with them. Um, and I find that really cool because it's, it's kind of, it's not, a forced thing, but is an option if you so choose. So I'll go over to, you know, different people's places and, and just talk to them. And, and from time to time, we would often talk about mental health issues, um, mainly because a lot of the students that I was living with uh, were studying psychology at the time. So it was kind of, again, a free service, if, if you want to call it that, a free psychological uh, counseling service, except amongst peers. So I think that there are ways to obviously connect with with peers your own age, but like I said, I, I think it it involves a level of trust and understanding as well. Um, what would you say to people if they're having trouble trusting people around them to talk about these things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's tough to say. I, I think uh, a lot of us we often struggle with that as a first step. You know, how do I find someone? Who I can I can really trust with, uh, you know, my personal issues, maybe family issues, without word spreading out to, to other people in the community. And obviously, in the Daisy community, you know, word travels fast, so you have to be you have to be kind of careful who you share with. I think, um, like I said, maybe if you have siblings um, who obviously understand, you know. When you're growing up in, in a family home, there are obviously fam, family pressures and parental pressure as well uh, to perform, um, whether it's academics or, or social activities or even cultural as well. So your siblings would probably understand you better than most. If you don't have siblings, maybe if there's someone in your life, you know, if you have a best friend or if you have another, you know, another person from a cultural perspective that you know is struggling with with a certain or similar issue. Maybe you could talk to them. Um, sometimes it could be someone older than you, um, maybe a few years older than you who you kind of look up to or who, who you've, you know, you've obviously spoken to before and, and you feel that you can, you can really identify with, with their upbringing or, or, you know, even if they have a certain career that's similar to yours and you can say, oh, I'm struggling with this and what's your perspective on, on that. Maybe you could reach out to them. So I think it's just identifying that person in your life who you feel you share the most with. Maybe um, that's maybe not on a on a career level or educational level. Maybe it's just on a personal a personal level. So I think there there's someone in your life if you can identify like that, uh, you can definitely at least start the conversation. Yeah, I think um, not not to you know replace therapy with people in your life but it's a, there's definitely value in 
just talking to people about mental health that you can just relate to. And also there are so many people to meet online. And I mean, you have to be a little bit careful, obviously, when you're meeting people online. But I've definitely made a lot of friends online that um, were not sketchy people (laughs) that I felt like I could just, you know, relate to and talk to. So I think it's just opened up a whole new world for us. I mean, we're talking, you're in Australia, I'm in the States. And um, yeah, just there's connections to be made and use it if you can. Definitely, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I know you spent some time in India. How long were you there for? I was in India for a year. So this was uh, right after I graduated from her master's in California. So around 2016, 2017. Okay, yeah. And then you, what were you doing there? So uh, so after my master's in the States, I was studying international development, um, which is basically, you know, trying to identify certain ways that you can engage in community and, and be able to serve others, um, especially in, in giving back to the community at large. So I was trying to apply a lot of what I had studied in the States to an Indian context, obviously coming from India originally. So I ended up going back to the city where my parents were born uh, in Hyderabad in, in South India, Andhra Pradesh. So, yeah, I was there for a year. Um, I think it was, it was obviously a lot of reverse culture shock <laughs> that I experienced going back. Obviously, it had been several years since I'd been back and, and I'd never lived there by myself before. So, you know, trying to rediscover my roots in a sense, but also trying to understand the culture from, from a local perspective was quite different than growing up in Australia and even spending time in the States. So, yeah, there's a lot to, to take in. I, I wouldn't say that I, I felt unfamiliar because I was staying with, you know, extended relatives and, and cousins and things like that. But there's definitely an element of um, unfamiliarity, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you were you were going around, you were talking to a lot of this people about mental health. What are some of the big takeaways that you had? Yeah, I think um, talking to young people, obviously, uh, during that time, um, I remember I was invited to speak at a at a public school up in Delhi, um, and we we're talking to yeah eighth, ninth, and tenth graders. I, I think a lot of the issues that I had kind of dealt with as a as a youngster. A lot of these kids had dealt with at a young age, and and that kind of surprised me because I thought, you know, oh, maybe this isn't something that you deal with until you're, you know, outside of um, high school or or even uh, until your university years. But a lot of these kids were like 15, 16 years old, so I think they were able to explain it as well. So, what sort of issues are you talking about? Uh, so basically, uh, I think a lot of the issues that they were dealing with in, from, in terms of mental health, um, they were dealing with a lot of uh, career choices, obviously after school, what they wanted to go into, but also a lot of peer pressure. So even though I was a public high school, uh, they were trying to deal with how do I fulfill the expectations of my parents, but not be seen as, you know, uncool by my peers. And then... You know, even within uh, that context, they were trying to figure out uh, how do I be myself and how do I see myself? You know, a lot of, um, I guess they were going through identity crisis, uh, you know, being 15, 16 years old. They're trying to figure out 
as a person, what am I capable of and um, how can I be myself? So a lot of the questions that they were asking me is like, how can I trust my peers if, you know, they're not going to be around uh, or they're not going to be close to me after a couple of years once we graduate? Or, you know, how do I, how do I really identify with certain people if they're not my friends and I can't trust them? Or, you know, how do I uh, fulfill, fulfill the expectations of my, my parents or my teachers if I don't even like what I'm studying? So I think those are sort of the questions that they were dealing with. Um, and I tried to kind of unpack that uh, during during my sessions. Um, but yeah, a lot of them came up to me afterwards and like we really wanted to hear more about this because we've never heard it before. So yeah, that was a real eye-opener for me, I think, hearing it from, from younger students as well. I think uh, trust seems to be a really big issue among Indians in general. Just um, I think it comes from such a like survivalist mentality that um, you feel that you can't trust people. But how how would you answer that question if a kid were to ask you that? Yeah, um, I I think it, like I said, it it depends on the person because obviously a lot of their cultural upbringing could be different from others, and not to say that within the Daisy community everyone. Uh, is raised in a normal atmosphere. Um, in fact, it, it could be the opposite. There are a lot of factors when you're growing up. You know, some families are, are more strict than others. Some are more accommodating. Some push uh, their, their siblings or their children harder than, than other families. So it really depends on the situation. And that could also lead to uh, trust issues later on in life because you feel like everyone around you expect something from you and and wants to you know obviously see that you're giving them what they need but when it comes to you as a person you often start to question oh what do I have to offer that's any different from anyone else or how can I be different um in in a general sense so I think with with questions like that I would often answer saying well you have to identify you know, how do you see yourself as a person? Do you feel that you have something unique to contribute? Because you are unique. And I think everyone has like unique gifts and talents that they can offer to, to everyone around them. And I think once you are you're able to identify that, you're more comfortable in your own skin. And you can obviously be able to share with others about some of the things that you've gone through, your challenges or your issues or what have you. So I think it, it comes down to a personal identity and and obviously being able to connect to your culture in some way maybe not immediately but later on in life you definitely see the the importance of culture um and how you connect with the world in general so yeah being able to see yourself as unique and offering those unique skills and talents to, to others in a meaningful way i think that's how you develop trust with others because you see the impact on a, on a positive note that it can bring to other people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, did you see, were there kids that you were talking to that were also interested in getting into this whole mental health advocacy and the greater mental health conversation? Yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of students were obviously asking questions that they had considered before, but they hadn't had the opportunity to do it because obviously 
you know, when, when it comes to the teacher-student relationship in India, it doesn't go much beyond academics. But I think, you know, me coming in as a guest speaker, probably they're able to share that with me because I was obviously kind of unpacking that for them in, in a way that they could understand. Um, so a lot of them obviously were considering this, but they just didn't know how to go about it. Um, I felt also um, a, a lot of the 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 girls who are, who are students there obviously had more questions when it came to how do I relate to other other um, girls, uh, other students within my class, within my school, who who have a lot of you know judgmental tendencies, you know when it comes to you know even you know, personal outlooks on life or when it comes to how do I see myself, um, you know, a lot of character issues that they were dealing with, you know, obviously when you're an adolescent developing that uh, in a deeper level. So so there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think being able to identify it and explain it in a way that you personally can identify with and then being able to share that with others, that's a, that's a really big step. Um, which a lot of people don't really get to um, until, you know, they're able to identify that on a personal level. So a lot of the students were there. I, I, I hope that in a couple of years' time they're able to kind of explore that um, for themselves. But it is a growing process, I think, for a lot of students. You're just trying to figure out how can I be me in a world that has so many expectations and, and so much pressure to, to perform, especially, you know, in India where that is the case. So uh, I think I think a lot of students were questioning that and definitely trying to explore that a bit deeper as well. Yeah, it's interesting to see how much we actually have in common in terms of mental health with um, these kids. Um, I think, uh, I guess the biggest difference being that we kind of have an added, I don't know if that makes us, means we have more challenges, but we just have a, a different challenge of, having these cultural issues of being like the third culture kid. Exactly. That's it. Uh, so your work in Australia, does it often deal with this sort of third culture that we're talking about? Yeah. And I think a lot of migrants, obviously from, from the South Asian community, when they, when they move here with either their parents or even by themselves, they're trying to identify what are my cultural roots and how do I not, lose grip on them but at the same time how do I assimilate to the culture in a way that's meaningful to me as a person so yeah obviously in one hand you're trying to hold on to your your personal culture from from a from an Indian perspective or a South Asian perspective and then you're trying to see how do I see myself as an Australian or American or what have you so it, it's a tension for sure. I, I think even uh, personally, I've gone through that tension um, as well from a cultural perspective. But I think trying to um, merge both cultures into a third culture where you, you're comfortable in doing so, I think that's really important uh, for migrants especially because it gives you the ability to kind of explore things without the fear of saying, oh, I'm losing too much of my heritage or oh, I'm becoming too Australian or I'm becoming too American. So I think being able to be comfortable with that and also not feel like you're being judged, which is a, it's a delicate tension, I understand that, but I think being able to do that in a way that's comfortable to you, um, yeah, that's, that's crucial.
Yes. Do you think that there are differences between um, children of people who are migrants or people who moved here willingly or um, between those kids and um, children of refugees? Yes, definitely. Uh, I think children of refugees, um, what I've found especially, a lot of them have to leave their families to come here, uh, especially in, from an Australian context, that seems to be the case. And usually their family follows them. Whereas with migrants, usually the family, like the parents move first and the children come with them. Um, so it's it's kind of difficult to say um, from a personal perspective, mainly because I was born and raised here in Australia. But from what I've seen within my peers and within the community, uh, refugees tend to um, assimilate, um, it takes a, a quite a while longer than migrants. I think with migrants, you, you try to identify immediately a community that is similar to yours. So if there's a Desi community, you're almost immediately connected to that and you're like, oh, I know so-and-so, uh, you should you should definitely connect with them or you find a cultural community. You know, as a Christian, we found like a Christian fellowship that we're able to attend that was, you know, predominantly Desi or you, you might, you know, find a place of worship or, you know, a, a community center where a lot of Indians gather where you, you immediately feel, oh, this is home. Whereas with refugees, you're, you're trying to figure out where is home? Is this my home? How long will I stay here? Because refugees tend to move from place to place quite often. So I think it, it depends on the person. Um, I know refugees who who are able to assimilate over, over a number of years and, and finally able to settle down and bring their family with them eventually. Um, others, you know, if they're in school, they have a lot of issues trying to figure out what is Australian culture. And and if, even if I am a citizen or become a citizen later in life, does that automatically mean that I am Australian, whatever that means? So, yeah, it, it's difficult it's difficult time for them when they're assimilating to the culture. Whereas I think with migrants, you often immediately identify a community that you can be part of. And that sense of belonging is already there. Um, it's just, it takes some time to establish connections within that community. But once you do so, you definitely feel like you're part of, um, yeah, a cultural community that understands you for who you are. Yeah, and what about one or two gen generations down the line? Yeah, I think it's easier, obviously, each generation that comes along because you're often standing on the shoulders of the generation before you. And and I know for, for my parents, obviously, being the first generation, they often told me stories of, you know, the struggle to survive. So it's very, very much a survival mentality. You know, I have to provide a job for my family. I have to support my family back home. And these two are often the biggest priority. Um, whereas when the second generation usually comes along, you're more about how can I identify with the culture I'm in more than the culture where I'm from. Um, by the third generation, you're basically saying, oh, I identify myself as either Australian or as Indian. So it, it's usually not a combination of the two, or it's even if it is, there's less questions associated with it because you're usually kind of grounded within a community and you know people who, who are obviously second or third generation. So 
I think each generation it gets a bit easier. It's not to say that there aren't challenges within each generation, but I think in terms of the resources and the connections within that particular community you're a part of, it's definitely easier to make those connections as time goes on. Right. So it gets easier as generations go by. Do you think the stigma around mental health is a little lower as well per generation? Yeah. I I think because now in school, I remember when I was growing up in school, we never talked about mental health, um, at least from, from an educational perspective. I know in schools now, they actually teach mental health in, in certain classes, um, so so it is it is an available resource for for students uh i think growing up now in the second third generation uh i think there are also um certain i've been to certain multicultural conferences where they talk about you know uh people with lived experiences and i've heard you know they who share about you know their their mental health challenges on a stage which i haven't seen um when i was growing up in school i think now with the second, third generation, you're able to, to share that on a larger stage, a larger platform, and, and you're encouraged to do so. So I think when it comes to that, uh, the initial stage of recognition and then encouragement um, later on, people are able to share it more openly. Uh, I think second, third generation, you're able to do that um, because you see others doing it. Uh, I think if you see people, you know, from your culture and your your background, who are able to share it and not have a fear of being judged or criticized, that kind of empowers you to do the same, Um, at least in my perspective it has. So, yeah, definitely things are changing and and it's quite encouraging to see that. And, yeah, I I definitely think and and hope that that continues into the future as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, it seems like it's a a big... um... It's a function, kind of of culture, kind of of time, um, uh, a few other things. Um, I have a question for you. How did you get into this kind of work? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think it started obviously uh, back when I when I was in the uh, my counselor's office when I was working in the states. Obviously, being able to be in that uh, those circumstances and being able to share with someone. I didn't know but who could also identify with what I was going through that gave me a lot of courage to kind of share it more openly obviously at that time I wasn't sharing it outside of you know those sessions but uh, when I came back to Australia and I started seeing other people especially other Desis who are my age kind of talking about mental health issues and struggles that they were going through especially from my community Uh, the Indian community, we were able to kind of identify and relate to each other. Um, And I started to think, oh, maybe it isn't such a taboo topic after all. Maybe I could probably talk about some of the struggles that I'm going through and see if others could relate. Um, But it was several years, I think, after I returned from India um, and having the experience there that I started to speak about it. a bit more openly. So there were conferences that I was invited to, to, to speak about youth and mental health. I think this was about two years ago. Um, so over the last couple of years, been able to share it on, on a public stage, um, you know, in certain workshops and conferences and events, things like that. I don't think I've got to the stage where I've shared it uh, in a specifically or predominantly uh, Desi community event. 
Um, I think maybe because we're we're not quite there yet. Um, I, I think in in the general you know multicultural society, multicultural community, we are able to do that. Um, but I feel that if there's a there's a platform for young people to obviously conceptualize an event or even lead a certain cultural gathering where you're able to have your other young people share about these issues, then it might not be classed as a judgmental, um, I guess, challenge. But um, I, I, I think it's starting to happen. I, I've seen in the Sri Lankan community, there are certain Sri Lankan youth conferences where they, they tackle issues like this. Um, I, I feel like in the States, it's happening a lot more now, um, which is encouraging to see. Uh, you know, I've heard about different, you know, South Asian youth conferences where they, where they talk about mental health in a public um, place and format. So I think it's starting to happen a lot more. And and I think when, when young people are able to hear about opportunities like that and are able to, to kind of hear it for themselves from a firsthand perspective, that kind of opens up conversations around mental health where you're able to share it more openly. Do you think that Indians or Desis are, are more um, are ready to have these like big forums in which they talk about mental health? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think I think they are ready, but it comes to a personal decision. So if you're willing to attend a, a certain conference, per se, um, and hear it from someone else, that doesn't automatically mean that you're able to share it with someone else. You know, it's very different sharing it on a personal level, you know, one-to-one, and then sharing it in front of an audience. Uh, you know, speaking from a personal perspective, when when I was growing up, there were a lot of, you know, issues concerning who do I share my experiences with? You know, you should only share it with family. And then later on, you know, people are saying, oh, it's okay to share it in small groups. Uh, and then now I'm at a stage where I don't mind sharing it in front of a larger audience even if they're not particularly um, from a Desi community. Uh, so I think it depends with where you're at. I, I do feel that the Desi community is ready um, f- to have public formats like this and public forums where you can share. But like I said, I think if you start with you know, specific demographics, so if you start with like a youth conference where, where other young Desis are able to share, or if you start with, you know, if it's a cultural event, where that's kind of the theme or topic for a certain conference, um, it's a bit easier to share it than if you just take it upon yourself to share it with a larger audience. I think if the platform is already there, then it's easier to share. But um, yeah, I, I hope that young people are able to kind of identify those safe places to share, for sure. I think the challenge is convincing Desi people that it's okay to even create uh, platforms in which people can come and contribute the stories about mental health. Exactly. That's right. Do you think it's easier to talk about this stuff in these multicultural forums that you've been talking about? And why would that be the case? Yeah. Um, I think uh, from from a personal perspective, the, there was an organization that I connected with recently uh, called Multicultural Youth Queensland. Queensland's the, the name of the state where I'm from. So basically, they started like a youth um, youth council or youth committee, and we we met together. There was a lot of refugees and migrants from different cultures. So we had a lot of you know refugees from Africa. We had a few Indians. 
uh, we had some people from East Asia as well. So I think seeing different young people from from all those different backgrounds, but we we realized that we were going through similar issues. So a lot of the the young people, you know, were from the age of like sixteen to twenty five. So we're kind of in the same dem- demographic, but we started to identify certain key areas where we wanted to talk about more in depth. Mental health was one of them. There was education, employment, some of those challenges as well as a young person. So I remember distinctly, we put on a youth forum uh, called Youth Matters last year. Um, and I was leading one of the uh, sessions because we wanted to make sure that young people were able to lead the sessions. And in turn, they were more comfortable to kind of share from a personal perspective. So when it came to mental health, uh, we were able to share, you know, a lot of the lived experience that we had gone through as young people, but also kind of open it up to the floor. And a lot of young people, uh, we had about 200 young people that that attended uh, our session. So it was it was very engaging. It was very um, eye-opening to see, I think, a lot of young people kind of stand up and, and share uh, sort of the issues that they're going through as a from their community perspective. Um, I think as a as a young Desi, there's always that challenge of trying to relate to different generations. So within your own generation, whether you're second or third or even first, you're trying to identify, oh, not everyone is going to connect with my story. So how can I identify with those people who do, but also share it with people who don't? and still get them to at least uh, agree that, you know, there are certain challenges that we go through as a community and it's time to kind of um, voice those opinions, uh, especially coming from a personal perspective. So I think if you can explain it in a way that, you know, oh, this is something that I saw within my family or this is something that I've seen in general within the community or even when I go back home, these are sort of the questions that I get. I think people are able to identify that immediately instead of saying, oh, this is a mental health issue and this is what's wrong. Um, So I think being able to get to that place where everyone can immediately identify and say, oh, these are the sort of the questions that I'm going through or I'm considering. Um, And I'm glad to see that others are kind of questioning that as well. I think it's good to get to that place um, were you able to share in that way? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think uh, not everybody always has the right jargon or, or the, the right vocabulary to describe exactly what they're going through mental health-wise, but at least if you describe uh, situationally what's going on, there you, you will find that there are a lot of people who are going through the same thing. That's right. So that's really good. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? What what are you? Uh, what's like your dream for mental health in the Desi world? Yeah, uh, I think definitely at the moment I'm, I've been exploring certain platforms, especially here in Australia and also in India, where we're able to kind of share some of the mental health issues that, and challenges that we're going through within uh, a youth perspective. So recently, I connected with an organization back in India that's a youth media platform and they're doing a lot of um, interviews and podcasts and and also um, video stories on Instagram and things like that surrounding mental health, especially for young people at the moment in, in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, lockdown. 
so a lot of people are able to obviously, you know, connect on online. So they're using that medium to kind of share their stories as well. So just been highlighting that. Um, there's another initiative here in Australia called the Sari Collective. Uh, so the South Asian uh, Media Collective, basically, it's a new initiative that's um, compiling resources for for young people within the Desi diaspora. Um, and mental health is, is a big one that we're trying to highlight at the moment. So, yeah, just been contributing to that in terms of like stories and articles, things of that nature. Um, and then my own work within uh, the World Economic Forum. So basically, uh, there's a platform called the Global Shapers Community, which are basically like young professional hubs around the world in different cities. Um where young professionals are able to gather and basically create new initiatives within the community responding to certain social issues. So mental health is a big one that I've been uh, connecting with other young people with lived experiences and, and trying to identify platforms that we can, we can speak about these things uh, online. So I think, I think, like you said, there's a lot of ways using the internet that you can connect with people and obviously um, there is that level of openness where you can kind of share anything and and not be uh, too concerned about, you know, who's going to read it or, or maybe this person knows me or, or doesn't know me. Um, but just being able to be honest with yourself and with others, I think there are certain platforms out there where you can connect and um, you don't have to share everything, but at least, you know, the things that are on your mind perhaps, you know, current issues or certain challenges that you think that everyone's going through and you can kind of share from your own perspective. I think there are ways to do that um, and, and kind of engage uh, with, with other people in the community as well. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, so uh, I want to start wrapping this up, but before you go, I wanted to ask you if there are any other um, topics or questions that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, um, I think those are most of them. I, I think definitely um, in terms of resources, um, like I mentioned before, a lot, of, a lot of South Asians are obviously looking for different mental health resources, but they're not able to obviously uh, connect with them on a personal level, maybe because they're just not aware or they're kind of struggling to find, you know, more established platforms to, to share about their mental health concerns. So I think that's one that a lot of people are still trying to connect with, uh, at least from a younger generation. Uh, which platform is that? So um, there are a couple of resources uh, online. Uh, one's called the Mental Health uh, Spotlight. Um, so that's basically like, it, it's sort of like a blog platform for Daisy's were able to share about some of the mental health issues. That's a South Asian American one um, that started by second generation uh, Daisies. So uh, you can check that out, the mental health spotlight. Um, there's another one called uh, Man Mukti. They have a podcast focusing on mental health from a second generation perspective. Uh, they have like a lot of online resources like articles and other stories from young people that they're trying to highlight at the moment. Um, so Man Mukti is a good one to check out. Um, there's also, you know, other resources online, um, such as the Salmon Network, 
which is basically um, a compendium of resources for therapists, psychologists, and counselors, specifically from a DC perspective. Um, so that you're able to kind of connect with them based on the city where you're at. Um, so that's a good local resource for people who are in the States and who want to kind of connect um, on a, a get professional help and, and kind of get connected to to people within their community who understand their, their cultural sensitivities as well. Um, and I think in general, if you definitely, there's a lot of Facebook groups and and things like that where you can connect and share anonymously if you so choose. I, I know a lot of people, obviously, like we talked about on this episode, there's a lot of trust issues when it comes to sharing about mental health. So even if you want to, you know, share your story anonymously, there are certain forums where you can do so. So definitely, you know, be able to be open to do that and check those resources out. I think that's a good starting place uh, from a DC perspective as well. That's great. Thank you for that. Uh, a lot of a lot of great names that I definitely recognize, um, and they're great platforms. Uh, so, if people want to reach out to you or ask you any questions, how can we find you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Facebook, so you can check me on Joseph Kalapudi, or um, also on LinkedIn. I do write articles from time to time um, about certain uh, mental health issues and challenges. Um, so you can check me out online. Uh, I write for different publications. So if you just Google, you know, Joseph Colaputi Mental Health, uh, you should be able to find some of those resources as well. Great. Yeah. And I will link some on the website at tdcpodcast.com uh, when I post about this episode. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tanishri. Yeah. Great to be part of the platform. Definitely. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, if you like this episode, leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Would super appreciate it and share with all your friends. Um, if you wanted to reach out to me, you could find me at the Daisy Condition at gmail.com or through the website at tdcpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Daisy Condition or on Twitter at tdcpodcast underscore. That's a lot of platforms, um, so you can't miss me. Okay, so thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I will talk to you next time.